Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the first epistle of Peter. We'll continue to discuss assurance of your faith, sanctification, and trials. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 10, we'll begin our lesson. All right, why don't I open this up in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather at this incredible place for this weekend. We appreciate so much the people that you put here with us to have fellowship together. It's already been an incredible day and evening last night and wonderful discussions happening. And I just ask that you continue to guide our discussions, not only now through our study of First Peter, but also in the fellowship and discussions that we'll have for the remainder of this weekend. We all have issues, we all have struggles, we all have trials that we're going through, and I just ask that you use this time and this weekend to help us identify, make evident to us what areas of our life we need to focus on that you want to change, that can help us grow in our relationship with you, mature in our faith, so that we are better equipped to help others either become Christians or grow in their faith. That's what you've called us to do, to disciple others. And I'd also ask you to put on each of our hearts perhaps someone that we can pour our lives into to disciple along the way. And so, Father, we thank you for the time. We thank you for your word. And I just ask that you speak through me and anyone else who speaks up today in our discussions. Just guide it in a way that can help us all. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, we made it through the first nine verses of the first chapter last night, and we will continue this morning our study of 1 Peter chapter 1. And I know some of you showed up a little late and missed part of the lesson last night, so let me just kind of summarize a little bit of what we talked about. We covered a lot of ground in just nine verses there were really three areas that we discussed. We talked about the doctrine of election, and I'm going to try to summarize that a little differently for you this morning before we get started. We also talked about sanctification and how the Holy Spirit uses our trials and our difficult times in our life in a way to sanctify us, to draw us closer to Jesus, to show us that we have to depend on Him to get through those difficult times. I'm convinced that you can't mature in your faith without having gone through some really difficult things. And I've also found that the people who have mentored me, the best ones are the ones who have gone through a lot of suffering themselves because they understand. And if you can get with people who have been through a lot of suffering and come out on the other side, that's evidence of true saving faith. And that was another topic that we talked about, we'll continue talking about today, is the assurance of your salvation. If you are a true believer and you're a Christian, you have to be 100% assured of your salvation. Now, might you have doubts from time to time? That's normal. That's Satan messing with you or his army. But by and large, if you believe this book, if you believe the Bible, you can't have any other view except that you have been saved, that you are going to heaven. That's why it's a living hope because we have been given promises made by God to us as believers that we will have eternal life and that our sins have been forgiven. And anything else that's preached at any other denomination or church or anyone else who's trying to tell you that you can't be assured, that's not the gospel. 
That's some made-up gospel, and you can go with that if you want, but that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you don't believe a Christian is 100% certain of their salvation, you're not believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're believing in something else, and you need to realize that. And I hope when you leave this weekend, if you leave with one thing, it's to know that you should have peace. That's what Peter's talking about when you go through trials realize that no matter how bad it is, and all of them went through terrible trials, all the apostles were martyred except for John, and he was exiled to Patmos. They all suffered severe persecution. I doubt any of us will have to endure anything like that, but we'll have tough times, and we are to ask not why, but what is God trying to teach us in each of those difficult times? Just to hit some of the highlights of what we studied last night, if you look in verse 3, it says that God has caused us, He caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's His work, not our work, and it's a done deal, we saw. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It says we obtain an inheritance. When you obtain an inheritance, you didn't earn it. It was given to you, and somebody's got to die in order to get it, and that was Jesus, and that's already happened. So the death has happened. You are assured of your inheritance. And what is our inheritance? It's imperishable, it says. It's undefiled. It isn't going to fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. So if you don't believe that, then you're believing something other than in the gospel. You're basically saying, well, I don't believe that. I'm using my black highlighter on what's written here in Scripture. If you don't believe, if you don't have assurance of your salvation as a believer, it goes further. It says, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say might. It doesn't say, well, we'll kind of see God grades on the curve and we'll let you know if you're maybe, you know, in the 51 percentile and so you're in. It doesn't say that. It says it's reserved for you. We're protected, and it's ready. It is ready to be revealed. It's already been done, okay? And then it goes on to say that's why we should rejoice. Even though we're going through trials from time to time, we'll be distressed by various trials. Why? Verse 7, so that it will prove your faith that you get through those trials and that you come out on the other side even realizing how more dependent that you are on Jesus Christ. And drop down to verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith. Doesn't say obtaining as the outcome of your great works. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so there's nothing in here you can read that would say you got to earn it. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to get this done. You got to have this sacrament. You know, you got to check all these. It doesn't say that. It's a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. We spent most of our discussion last night talking about election and predestination and foreknowledge of God. And I told you from me, I think anyone who says that they totally understand that, I think they're deceiving themselves because I don't think our minds can comprehend the mind of God. God is all-knowing. It's his plan. He created us. He's created everything. He knows how it's going to go down. I simply look at election like this. God knew he was going to create me before he created me. He knew I was going to be a screwed up mess. He knew I was going to be a sinner. He knew I needed a savior. He gave me a savior. 
And he called me and gave me a gift and said, I'm going to take care of you. Here's your Savior because you're screwed up. And I just leave it at that, okay? That's where I end up. I'm happy to discuss it in even more detail than we spent last night. I got a ton of verses we didn't even cover last night. But to me, I'll only discuss it if you want to because I'm going to tell you I don't totally understand it. And that's good enough for me. You don't have to as long as you believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe the promises that are in this book. That's good enough for me. And I'm glad that however it came about, God loved me enough to do it. And that's what enables me then to be obedient and to get through trials. Whatever is going on, I know God loves me. He's got this. I trust him. And I'm not saying you all haven't, but I've been through some terrible, terrible, terrible trials. Some very difficult things. And I know for sure I couldn't have gotten through it without the Holy Spirit. And that's evidence to me that I am saved. So I'll leave predestination. We'll leave that there. We can talk about it further later if you want to. So let's go ahead and pick up where we left off in verse 10. It says, as to this salvation, so that's the salvation that we were discussing in verses 1 through 9, that we're assured of, it was a gift, we can't earn it. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. So he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, and they made a careful reading of all the prophecies that God had revealed about the coming Messiah. When Jesus came to try to understand this, even in the Old Testament days, they were trying to understand because it wasn't clear back then that there would be two comings. And that's what he's going to talk about here. That wasn't totally clear. And they were trying to understand, okay, we see the Old Testament prophecies of a conquering king. And we also see these prophecies of a suffering Messiah who's going to pay the price for our sins. How are both of those going to happen? If you're taking notes, you can go look at, for instance, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 about the suffering Messiah. You can look at verses on the conquering king in Psalm 2, verses 6 through 9, in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. You can read about how the Messiah would rise from the dead. That's in Psalm 1610, that the Messiah would save sinners. That's in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, which, by the way, Jesus read that himself to describe himself. You can look at that in Luke 4, verses 16 through 20. And when we were studying it, we noticed he didn't read all of that because the second part where he stopped was on the suffering Messiah. When you read that part of Isaiah, if you read the following verses that he didn't read, those are actually talking about when he will return. And so what Peter is talking about here is the prophets back then, even in the Old Testament days, they understood there, there would be grace and they made careful search and inquiry. It says in verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. What's interesting is even Peter is saying here, it was the Holy Spirit, even with the Old Testament prophets, that were giving them this understanding in order to write the Old Testament. Even that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, is what he's saying here. They were saved in the Old Testament times because they believed, but they didn't get to see or understand near as much is what we have been revealed by God. Let me show you 
Uh, I'll just go over there real quick. I'm going to go over to Matthew 13, verse 17, because this further describes what I'm talking about. Jesus says in verse 17, For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Because the Old Testament prophets, they didn't have near the revelation that we've been given. We're on this side of the cross. We've seen the Messiah come. We've seen his death, burial, and read about his resurrection. We didn't see it, but we know it to be true. And a lot of the dots, a lot of things have been connected that is much more visible and available for our understanding than anyone in the Old Testament times had available to them. So we've really been blessed to have that. But we now have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us to help us understand But even Peter is saying here, even the Old Testament prophets, what they wrote in the Old Testament was given to them by the Holy Spirit as well, although not living in them. Let me cover this real quick. So the Old Testament prophets, Peter's saying, they wanted to know who would be the Messiah, when he would come. And what's interesting is now we've known he came once and now he's going to come a second time. And that's what we're awaiting. But they didn't comprehend all of that. Both Old Testament and New Testament believers were all saved by grace through faith. And I can show you real quick. Let's go over there and look at that. Hebrews, which is, if you go to the left, it's just on the other side of the book of James. Go over to Hebrews 1, verse 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he's spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed, heir of all things, through him also he made the world. That's clear. God spoke long ago to the forefathers through the prophets. That's in the Old Testament. And then he sent Jesus Christ, who, by the way, he clarifies here in Hebrews, the writer says, by the way, Jesus Christ made the world. He made all things through the word. And then flip over to chapter 11, which sometimes been called the Hall of Faith chapter It's all about faith. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith, this is what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what that means is our faith is it's the assurance that the things we hope for are going to happen. That's what faith is. So if you don't believe that your sins are forgiven and that you are going to have eternal life, that's what faith is. That's what it's all about. It's having faith in something that you can't see, but it is assurance. Do you see that? It is assurance of those things that we hope for. So we should be assured of our salvation, of our forgiveness of sins, of our eternal life. Further than that, the conviction of things not seen. Conviction means you know. I'm convicted. I know it to be true. So that's why I keep coming back to this We need to have conviction that what we believe and what's written to us in the Bible by God, we're convicted that it is true. Yes, sir. I was going to say, the conviction also on this side of death, it's that conviction that you have faith, that you know that even in your trials, that God's going to be there with you. So you shouldn't be afraid of the trials that are to come because those are what cause us to stumble and hesitate and not do what we're asked to do. It's because we're fearful that if we can avoid those trials, that our life is going to be great. But if you have faith and conviction, knowing that through faith that God's going to be there with you, as difficult as it is, it it doesn't make you as afraid to go 
go in head first. I'm so glad you said that because what came into my head, everyone remembers the story about Daniel's three friends that wouldn't worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And Nebuchadnezzar said, you don't understand, you know, here's the rules, maybe you didn't hear me, but when the music plays, you need to bow down and worship this golden image that I made, or I'm going to throw you in that fire. And they said, we don't need to answer you, I'm paraphrasing, we don't need to answer you in this regard, because we know God told us to not worship anyone other than the one true God. We're not going to worship your image, we don't care when the music plays, and we're not afraid. We know our God is able to keep us from that fire. And this is what's interesting. They did not pray the prayer that I pray, and I would guess most of you pray just about every time. When you're getting ready to go into a trial or a test or you're in it, what do we pray? Remove me from the fire. Please remove me from this difficulty. Oh, God, please. You know what we're doing when we're praying that? We're saying, God, I don't want you to teach me what it is that you're trying to teach me. Remove me from this. I'm too good for this. I don't want to be taught because I know everything. That's basically what we're saying. It's taken me a while to realize that. And we need to pray like those three guys did. It's like, God, I know you're able to remove me from this. But even if you're not, we're good because I know you're going to be with me. And they went in the fire. And sure enough, even Jesus was in the fire. There was a fourth person. In the fire. And then what's amazing, when they came out of the fire, they didn't even smell like smoke. When I go barbecue, whatever I'm cooking, I smell like smoke. They were in the middle of the fire. They didn't even smell like smoke. Why can't we pray like those guys? You know, like I'm in the fire. I know you're going to be there with me. I'm good with it. Again, let's not ask why the fire Let's ask what. What are you trying to teach me? Teach me. I don't necessarily like the fire, but you know what? I know you're up to something. Thanks for taking an interest in me today. What are you trying to teach me? I must have something big in store. Exactly. So look at all these people in chapter 11. Look, by faith, Abraham. By the way, there's not one verse in here that says by works, by baptism, by sacrament, by... You can look. You're not going to find it. You're going to put that on your tombstone, Larry. Exactly. By faith. Realize Larry, not by works. By faith, Noah. Look at poor Noah. It hadn't even rained before. God tells him to build a boat. They're in the middle of the desert. Never rained before. Build a boat. You know, he builds a boat. Everybody's going, what is with this Noah guy? And he's preaching to all of them. You need to repent. Need to repent. You know what? When that door came up and closed, and by the way, I wasn't going to spend any time on election, but God elected eight people. There were eight people, okay? So by faith, Noah, it wasn't because he built the ark. It was by faith, by faith, by faith. Drop down, well, you can read all these. Moses, Sarah, Abraham. Moses is over on verse 23. All of these people. Just go down the list. Rahab the harlot. And what does it say? Look in verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. What that means is they were looking forward. They didn't have the revelations that we've had. They were looking forward to a Messiah, but they didn't understand that the Messiah would come two times. They didn't know what we know, but it was by faith. They had faith. That's why they're saved. It wasn't because of anything they did. And by the way, every one of these people are sinners. 
Every one of them, just like us. But it was faith that saved them. Look at verse 39. All these having gained approval through their faith. This is just talking about the people before Christ. It was the faith that they had in Old Testament times that they will then receive what they were promised because of their faith. Okay, let's go back over to 1 Peter. Let me keep going. It said in verse 11, Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So we will have glory with Jesus Christ. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So again, all this information came to the apostles and the writers in the New Testament from the Holy Spirit so that we could then learn things into which angels long to look. Now, what does this mean? What's this thing about angels? Well, holy angels, they don't need to be saved. The fallen angels do, and they can't be saved. Remember, one-third of the angels have fallen. Satan took a third of them with him. We don't know how many there are. But the holy angels, the non-fallen angels, they don't need to be saved. The fallen ones can't be saved. But the holy angels are looking on because they want to better understand this salvation by grace. Because it's not something they participate in. They don't need it. They're created differently. And they want to understand what this salvation by grace through faith is so that they can then better glorify God. That's what this is talking about. They've been witnesses of our redemption by Christ, of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But they want to understand even more since they haven't experienced it. This is something we get to experience, the tremendous grace of God, getting something that we don't deserve. And they want to better understand it so that they can glorify God. I think that's what that's talking about here. It says in verse 13, Therefore, gird your minds for action. So what is this saying? It's basically saying, based on everything above, get with it. Get with it. Gird yourself up. Get with it. Take some action. Now that this is all true, you know that you're going to heaven. You know you've been given a gift that you can't even place a value on. Get busy. What are you going to do with it? Be obedient. Serve the Lord. Do what he has you here to do. Gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't say fix your hope completely on the good works that you have to do to earn your way. It doesn't say that. It says fix your hope completely on God's grace. Trust God. Believe what he's promised you here in the Bible. Don't have doubt. It says keep sober. That's about having self-control and clarity of mind. Our assurance of our salvation is based on Jesus' triumph over Satan, and we should look forward to Christ's return. All of our salvation has been given to us by grace. It says, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in ignorance. So these were our sinful desires that we all suffered with. But a lot of it in the past was due to our lack of spiritual understanding. Now we don't have that excuse. We should be conformed. We should be shaped by the revelation and the truth that God has given us in his word. Verse 15, but like the Holy One, that's God himself, who called you. By the way, there it is again. We've been called. Be holy yourselves also in all your behaviors. 
So God not only called us to salvation, he's called us to be more Christ-like. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us become more Christ-like. And that should be our response to this tremendous gift of salvation that God has given us. It should be our obedience. Verse 16, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's out of Leviticus 11 verses 43 to 45 if you're interested. We're called to love. We're called to serve God. We're called to not be part of this world or part of this culture. We're called to live out our lives differently than everyone else and to be an ambassador and representative for Jesus Christ to others. Verse 17, and if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. All right, somebody's going to say, see, there it is. We're supposed to have good works. There it is. See, you've been lying to us. There it is. Told you. Nope. Let me correct you here. What this is talking about is our good work that we as Christians will be judged for what we do when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ to receive our rewards, to receive the responsibilities that we will have. We will be judged. Our works will be judged as Christians, but not for salvation. You got no verses that say our works are for our salvation. I've just been giving you everything else that says it's not that way. But our works will be judged for purposes of our rewards and our responsibilities. If you want those verses, I can give them to you later. You can write a few of them down. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 5 through 9. And you'll see that's not about our salvation. It even says we'll offer up our works and whatever's there that's good, that's like gold, it'll make it through the fire. Anything else will be burned up but we will still be saved. So there you go, okay? If you need more backup for what I'm telling you. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. What's this talking about? Well, first of all, it says you were redeemed. If you're redeemed, it's done. It's already done. So how could you be judged for your salvation? It says you are redeemed. Redeem means you were purchased. It means a ransom has been paid for us. Jesus Christ's blood has been shed. You have already been bought, purchased, redeemed. The penalty has been paid. So why do you want to keep going back thinking you got to work for it? As soon as you go down that path again, you're saying, well, Jesus didn't quite get the job done. Good man. He needs my help. Let me help Jesus a little bit. That is not the gospel. If that's what you want to believe, good luck. But that's not the gospel. You got no verses for that. Where it says, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. What's this? Some of this can just be some of the religious, traditional, religious junk that I can tell you was handed down to me. All this wrong teaching that I was taught. And I don't blame my parents. I've told them, I don't blame you. You were just teaching me the same junk that you were taught, okay? That ain't true. That's not biblical. And you got two choices. You can believe that nonsense that you were taught, that you claim as religious, you know? And it's very religious because Christianity isn't religious. And you're going to look at me now and go, Larry, whoa, 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 now you're going too far. Christianity is about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All other religions are about working hard, doing a bunch. That's religion. Doing a bunch of stuff to 
try to earn your way and look good. Do it your own. Keep doing this, doing that, doing that. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is the only religion where God came down to us, said, there's no way you can do it on your own, but I'm going to do it for you. Okay? So anything else that you're believing, it's religion. And it's just like every single other world religion there is. And unfortunately, folks, it's not going to get you there. You can never be good enough. So that's some of what he's talking about, trying to keep rules to earn your salvation rather than just a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You want some verses on that? Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9, and Matthew 23, 1 through 4. And here's how we were redeemed. We were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold. Remember, I said even silver and gold are not forever. They go through a refining process. We do go through that through our trials. But here's what we were redeemed with. Verse 19, the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's Christ's blood that redeemed us. It's not perishable. It was the ultimate sacrifice. Christ was not a sinner. Christ paid the penalty for our sins. He bore our sins, but he never sinned. But he paid the price for our sins. And as soon as you start thinking you got to do a bunch of stuff, if you're saying, well, Christ's blood didn't quite get the job done. Verse 20, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So our faith and our hope and our understanding are given to us by God so that we can then give him the glory. That's the whole purpose. All of this this isn't about us. This is about serving God and giving him glory. He wanted us to be part of his plan to give him glory. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. It says even from the beginning, even before creation. And he raised him from the dead to prove that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable to God the Father to redeem us. Our faith is no good without a risen Savior. If Jesus was just a great man that gave his life and died on the cross and didn't raise from the dead, we're in trouble. Verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So this sincere love, that means without hypocrisy, that we truly love one another. And I truly feel that from this group. I mean, that's what's so special about this group is the love I feel just from you all. The appreciation I feel from you all when I go through these lessons each week. I really appreciate that, and it's a huge encouragement to me. And that's how we should make others feel. I've told you this quote before. It just came back into my head. It's my favorite non-biblical quote anywhere. And I've done research. There's probably like five people that all say it came from them, which probably means it's from none of them. People will seldom remember what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. So if we can just engage with people with this type of love that has no hypocrisy, true love that is all about them and not about us, that we truly seek to understand and get to know other people rather than we're sitting there listening to them thinking of all the great things we're going to be able to tell them about ourselves, that kind of thing. Let's have those discussions throughout the rest of this weekend together.
if you go look at John 13, 35, I showed that to you the other day. Our love for others is what is evidence that we are Christians because we couldn't show that kind of love to others without the Holy Spirit. It's a way that we can reflect our gratitude for what Jesus did for us. We've been cleansed from our sin, and that gives us the ability to love others. Verse 23, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. There it is again. He just keeps telling us it's imperishable. It can't be taken away. It's reserved for us. It's protected. That is through the living and abiding word of God. So when we're born again spiritually, we'll never die. Our salvation is assured. The word of the Lord will endure forever. And I'm going to give you some verse. Well, let me read it. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. So there's two things that the Bible tells us will live into eternity. I know you know one because we just read it. God's word. What's the other thing? Everyone. Everyone lives into eternity. Everyone. There's no such thing as annihilation. There's a lot of people that hope that. Live like hell, then you die, and it's over. Well, they're going to have a rude awakening because everybody will be resurrected. Everybody will have new bodies. But your decision that you make on this side determines where you're going to spend eternity on the other side. But you will live in eternity. You will be resurrected. You'll be either resurrected with a glorified body and live with Jesus Christ in eternity forever not having sin. Can you imagine? I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they painted this beautiful picture, and I think the part that I liked about it the most, there were no politics. There were no news channels. There was no lying. There was no lying. Nobody sinned. Everybody loved one another. You didn't turn on the news and get lied to. I mean, can you imagine? There were no uh, trying to indoctrinate the school children with all kinds of nonsense. Can you imagine a world like that? Seriously, I just listen to that and go, oh my gosh, bring it on. Okay, it says, verse 25, but the word of the Lord abides forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. So I hope that this one chapter that we covered really quickly that we could have spent untold number of lessons on, there's so much in here. I hope everyone feels really assured about your salvation. And if you don't, please come talk to me this weekend. I really want to talk to you. I don't want you leaving here not feeling assured of your salvation. It's so important because if you don't have that assurance, you don't understand the gospel. You just don't. And I want to help you with that. And with that assurance, if you got assurance, you got peace. If you know where you're going... We shouldn't even fear death. I don't want to die tomorrow, but I'm ready. If I die tonight, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I'm going to miss you guys, but I'll be there. I'll be waiting for you. At the same time, I know God has a lot of work for me to do, and I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to live every day, and I fail every day at it, but I want to live my life in a way that is doing what he wants me to do while he has me here. That's why he has each of us here. How are we fulfilling what God wants us to do? When we leave this wonderful retreat this weekend, when you're driving home, I want you to think about what does God really want to do with my life? And I'm going to tell you, it's more than just 
going to work and raising your family. That's part of it, but that's not the biggest part. Otherwise, he would have zapped you out of here. So let me just summarize real quick, and then I'd love to hear from you. We should show tremendous gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. I mean, it's amazing. Let me just show you this real quick. Every time I read this, it just like hits me. Let me show you these verses. This is out of Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he is taken away. And I'll skip down. It says, The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And then I'll skip down. It says, Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors for our benefit, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. That's what Jesus did for us. And it was prophesied long before his first coming. And I go back to what I began with. I am so thankful God knew that he was going to create me. He knew I was a screwed up mess. He knew I was a sinner. And thank goodness he gave me a gift to save me because I couldn't have done it on my own. And I am so appreciative. And I hope we all will just reflect on what Jesus has done for us. And as a result of that, we want to do good works. We want to be obedient. We want to serve him. We want to discern his will for our lives and try to help others. I've had people sometimes tell me I'm sharing the gospel somewhere at a party or something, and somebody will come up to me and go, you know, you made them feel pretty uncomfortable. And I said, well, they're going to be uncomfortable if they don't accept Jesus Christ. And I would rather them be uncomfortable now. It's not about me. If they want to hate me because I shared it with them, it's not about me. It's about them. And I care about them enough. I want them in heaven. And so if I made them or someone else a little uncomfortable, that's good. I hope that's the Holy Spirit working on their heart. And I'm going to try to make all of us feel a little more convicted that I think we're here to be a witness. That's what we were commanded to do. And I hope we'll leave here being a little more bold and being willing to share the gospel with others. What do you want to talk about? Larry, you talked about that we should have this peace with our assurance. And what I want to add to that is it's not just the peace. We need to have the joy. God wants us to have His desire for us is peace and abundant joy. Now, He doesn't say, it's not in the Scriptures, believe in me and I will give you a cakewalk of a life. He's not saying that. But He is saying, through me you will have peace and you will have abundant joy. And that will manifest itself. That what needs to manifest in our lives as believers, regardless of the circumstances, the heartache, the trials and tribulations. Well said.
And it causes me, and I bring this up all the time, but he's just someone I try to think of when I'm going through trials. Think of Paul. Jesus appeared to Paul, said, I want you to be the guy to the Gentiles. I want you to go make churches. You're going to be the guy, my guy, to the non-Jewish people. And next thing you know, he's in prison. And if that were me, I'd have been going, this ain't right, man. I, Jesus, you told me you wanted me to go do this. And here I am locked up in prison, and I've been complaining and mad. And, you know, this isn't going down the way you told me. This isn't right. That's not Paul. Paul's like, hey, you're in control. You got me here for some reason. Oh, I got a prisoner locked up here, chained to me. Hey, by the way, buddy, let me share the gospel with you. And he rejoiced even when he was being beaten, no matter what was happening. He knew God's up to something. Why can't we be that way? Why can't we be like those three friends of Daniel? Quit praying to get out of the fire. I like the uh, example of Paul. It's interesting to think about how myopic we are with our feeble human brains and we cannot understand how awesome God is. And he's not constrained by time or space or anything. So the example of Paul is is good because you think about Paul in prison and he says, oh, well, this is cool. I can minister to this prison guard or I can take some time and write the letters to these churches. I wonder if Paul had any inkling that his words would be sent down from generation to generation to generation for thousands of years, right? Good point. It may never have even occurred to them. So then when I'm in some trial and I'm praying, get me out of the fire, it's like, no, 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 no. There's some awesome, unfathomable plan at work here, right? And I'm just playing whatever my tiny little part is. Yeah, and I'm not always good at this. I'm telling you, I will tell you, not to be braggadocious, I'm just trying to share with you, I have gotten much better at this. This group has heard me recently talk about and how I have been just spiritually attacked over about the last maybe month. It's been brutal. You heard me describe my power pole getting hit by lightning and blowing up every piece of electronic stuff in my house. I mean, everything. And that's been a nightmare. I get a few things back online and then that blows up other things. As they come online, they were probably already ruined, but it's just been a never ending thing. And then on top of that, just as I was starting to see the light of day on the electrical side, one thing that happened once I got some of the electrical systems back up and running, I'm on a well, I'm out in the country, and I have a pressure pump that then takes the well water and pressurizes it so I can have pressure in the house. It blew up, and it caused a big spike in pressure and blew up, I don't know, seven to ten pipes all over my house, inside the house, under the slab, I mean... I've got the biggest mess you have ever seen in your life. And, of course, pumps aren't available. Nothing's available anywhere in the country. Anyway, it's been a nightmare. But what's been cool about this is I have been calm through the whole thing. I've recognized it for what it is. For whatever reason, Satan and his army are after me. Maybe they don't like what I'm teaching. I don't know. But what was really cool about it is there had probably been, let's just say somewhere, I don't even know the number, seven to ten service technicians, you know, people who have come out, including FedEx deliveries of new parts or UPS, what have you, that have come out, that have heard the gospel by coming out to help me with my terrible difficulty. And every time I've said, you know, maybe that's what this was all about. You know, I was thinking it was maybe it was something I was teaching that got Satan's attention. 
But it might have just been to get these people out to hear the gospel. And I'm great with that. After everyone, I've said, God, if that's what this was about, I'm good. Like, if you want something else to blow up, let's keep it going, you know? I don't really enjoy going through it, but at the same time, if this is the vehicle, and I could not have done that not that long ago. I'd have been walking around totally PO'd. And so I only share that not to point to me, but to give you hope. Because if I can get through this kind of stuff and I am not built to get through it very well without blowing a gasket, if it can work in my life, it can work in yours. And that's not to say I don't go home and something's blown up and I fly off the handle and, you know, yell. But I have seen evidence and you can too. That's my purpose of sharing that with you. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.